Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where each week, Pastor Jeff Cranston explores biblical theology that provides practical life applications in an understandable way. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Kitchen Table Theology. I am your new host, Tiffany Coker, and here today along and with... Pa- I want to jump in and say, did that catch everybody off guard? Um, <laughs> Tiffany is going to be helping for the semi-foreseeable future, I think, When you say, Tiff? Yes. Yeah, and for those of you who, and many of you know her, many of you do not, Tiffany Coker is on staff and has been on staff at Low Country Community Church, but her main claim to fame is that she's my oldest daughter. So this is pretty special to be able to do this together. Yes, I am looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on here. It is my main claim to fame. <laughs> tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself, Tiff. All right. I live in the upstate. I am married. My husband, Brian, and I met Clemson. And for those Ooh, who don't know what the upstate is. Oh, yes. yeah. Sorry. For those who don't know what the upstate is. The upstate that. of South Carolina, the Clemson so, central area. But we live Greenville, here with our three kids. All that. Yep. Yes, Greenville, Spartanburg, all that is the upstate of South Carolina, as opposed to the low country where you are. But yes, Brian and I- Three of our grandchildren. Have three kiddos here. Callie is 11 in sixth grade, and then we have two boys, nine and eight, Cade and Colt. So they keep me running, keep me busy, but I'm looking forward to doing this and glad to be here. And a beautiful little English lab dog. Oh, yes. We cannot forget about Addie Mae. Name Addie May, who is nuts most of the time, but and also has severe separation anxiety issues. Yes, <laughs> she needs to be with the people all the time. <laughs> she really does. I'm sure she's not far from you right now. No. <laughs> well, we want to welcome you, Tiff, and I know Kitchen Table Theology Community, you welcome her as well. So why don't you get us started? Yes, thank you. All right, so we are discovering what Scripture teaches regarding theological topics here on Kitchen Table Theology. Our goal, as Jen said many times, is always to put the theological cookies on the bottom shelf where we can all reach this, reach them. We try to do this in ways that can be applicable to our lives. We do this because we agree with what pastor, author, and theologian R.C. Sproul once said. No Christian can avoid theology. Every Christian is a theologian, perhaps not a theologian in the technical or professional sense, but a theologian nonetheless. The issue for Christians is not whether we're going to be theologians, but whether we're going to be good theologians or bad theologians. So here at Kitchen Table Theology, our goal is to help you to become a good theologian who knows who understands and who can discuss the doctrines that are found in the Bible. We want to help you be strong in your faith, knowledgeable in and of the word, and continuing to grow in your love for Jesus. So, Kitchen Table Theologians, here we go today. We're diving in, continuing this series on worship. And this is going to be a two-parter, so we'll be sure to pick this up next week. But first... We have some great news to share. We have a new partner, Columbia International University, which is here in Columbia, South Carolina. Yes, and uh, we're very grateful to be able to announce that. CIU is celebrating 
100 years of existence and celebrating 100 years of its mission, which is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. My wife, Darlene, and I both graduated from there. It's a wonderful school, very solid graduate, undergraduate, and seminary programs. And so I want to really encourage you, if you want to continue your education or perhaps begin your education, and it doesn't have to just be in theology or Christian ministry. They've they've got some new programs. They have just started in nursing and biomedical science. They have a business school, a very popular Master of Organizational Leadership degree program. And primarily, though, CIU is known worldwide for graduates who take the gospel to the least reach among the nations. And if you want to know more about our new partner here, you can check them out at ciu.edu. All right, ciu.edu. Thank you. Here we go. Let's jump in on today's podcast. What direction are we heading in today? Yeah, I thought it might be a good idea to help us gain some understanding of terms. Perhaps this should have been the very first podcast that we did in this series and this season. But just, just to hit some terms that we come across when we're discussing worship. And some of these terms perhaps you grew up with and others might be new to you. All right. This sounds like a good idea and a good place to start. The first term we were going to look at is liturgy. So this may be a word or a term that you have heard before. I know I've heard it, but I don't know that I could give a good definition of what it really means. So help us out here. Yeah, if you grew up in what's known as a mainline denomination, if you grew up Episcopalian, maybe Lutheran, definitely Catholic, you would have heard the term liturgy. And liturgy is just one of the big fancy church words that nobody else uses outside of church. And a lot of churches don't use it anymore anyway. But it's it's just nothing more really than the name given to a church's custom of public worship, and it usually refers to the order of worship and the ingredients of a church's worship service. Now, nothing in Scripture prescribes a specific liturgy that we are to follow, but we do know from Scripture that we're to read God's Word, preach God's Word, we're to pray, we're to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There, there should be an element of confession, of offerings, of perhaps observing the Lord's Supper or baptism. And, and then a benediction. The New Testament tells us all those things, but how we do it and in what order we do it, we're never told. So liturgy is the name given to just your the, the way a church would conduct its public worship service. Okay, so liturgy, big fancy church word, as you said, but really just the ingredients, each piece that is found in a church's worship service. Great. Mm-hmm. Next term seems little bit obvious, but how about defining the word worship, since that's what we're really going to be examining in these next few podcasts? Yeah, we really probably should have done this the very first <laughs> podcast that we did on this. But, you know, this is a word that's used a couple of hundred times in the Bible. It's used a variety of ways, but it's commonly used in the church today, not only to refer the part of the service, well, primarily, I should say, where we we are talking about the part of the service where we sing. And I think most of us, most people, equate worship with singing. And as far as the definition of the word worship, I think it would be helpful if you thought in terms of it as worth, W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship, that, that God is worthy of our praise and he is worth 
what we offer to him. So I've always found that to be helpful to talk about it or think about it in terms of worship. And of course, if you do that, then you see it, you know, singing would just be a, a part of that, which I think, you know, singing ought to be, it ought to be a part, but we, we've tended to make it the whole. And when we make worship just the singing part of life at a church service, that really does sort of prove that we misunderstand the word. Right. So you might recall back in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees and the scribes why his disciples were breaking all of the traditions of the elders. And Jesus responded in Matthew 15, and I'll read it for us. You cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So those are some pretty strong words from, from Christ, words you don't want Jesus to say about you. I mean, your worship is a farce. That's definitely not something that you want to hear from him. And he, he's quoting from Isaiah. And Isaiah, in, in chapter 58 of Old Testament book of Isaiah, he also compared worship to a garment, you know, a coat. And you think about it, when you put on a coat, you know, maybe it's cold outside or raining or perhaps it's even snowing. Does the coat change that day's weather? Well, no, of course it doesn't. It doesn't change anything about the weather at all. What does it change? You put a coat on, it changes you in the weather. So worship is the way you and I clothe ourselves to live in a world that can often be very, very discouraging. Okay, I also remember Jesus talking about true worshipers are those who worship him in spirit and in truth. So can you explain how that plays into this at all? Yeah, and that's that's really important that the, the Father the Father accepts the worship of those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And I've I've run across so many Christians through the years who say, Well, how do I know that I'm doing this in spirit? How do I know that I'm doing this in truth? And the word the word spirit there is not capitalized, so it's not referring to the Holy Spirit in that instance. The Holy Spirit, I think, is assumed we can't really properly worship without him. But when we say to worship in spirit, we're referring to the truth that worship is not limited to some physical location. And I think over the centuries, we have been really, really good at trying to limit our worship to a location. You know, you have to go to a temple, you have to go to a cathedral, you have to go to a specific church building or something like that. But really, our worship's to be in spirit, uh, so it's not limiting us to one particular physical location. So in other words, worship has taken place in our hearts, and it's not necessarily connected to any place. So that's the spirit part. The The part in truth refers to true worship, which can only take place in through of the Lord Jesus. True worship can only take place when the spirit of truth is pointing us back to the person of Jesus who is the truth. And the man or the woman who's repented of their sins, trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, when that happens, we are given the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God enables us and helps us and comes alongside of us so that we can worship in spirit and in truth. And I, I felt it was important to bring that out today because 
so many people say, I, I want to worship in spirit and truth, but how do I know that I am? So hopefully that, that will help you a little bit along those lines. Yeah, so this worship in spirit and in truth, it sounds like you're saying worship can really happen anywhere at any time. Yeah, and in any place. And, you know, the Bible says that everything we say, do, think, eat, drink, it's supposed to glorify God. And if we're going to glorify God, well, that's an act of worship. And so it's very easy to see, therefore, that just singing on a Sunday morning is not strictly the definition of worship. The time to give an offering to the Lord is worship. The time of prayer is worship. Preaching is worship. You know, how you interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the week is worship. The way you work at your job is worship. Your your daily quiet time, your confession of sins, your receiving his forgiveness, your Bible reading by yourself, your own personal time with the Lord, that's also worship. I think it's great to learn our worship is not limited limited to singing on Sunday morning in church uh-huh. or even during the week as we're riding in the car. We spend a lot of time in the car in my family listening to his radio, listening to our favorite playlists. Um, lots listening of worship can happen in that theology. car. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah. With your um, children. <laughs> with our children. More than just the Sunday morning or the car time worship. It's our whole life really being devoted in a way that we're bringing honor and glory to God. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're not, you know, we're not called to worship on Sunday and then Monday to Saturday. We, we take a break from worship. So worship really ought to be lived out every moment of every day through the things the Lord has called us to do for him, because that really is the true worship that, that he asks from us. All right. I want to go back a minute ago. You mentioned that preaching is included as the act of worship. So pastor, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people maybe take that into consideration. You said most of us relate our worship with singing, but it actually includes the preaching. So when you ask the average churchgoer about worship, they don't really respond like having a conversation with a discussion on the preaching or the message that day. So you want to peel that back a little bit for us? Yes. As as hard as that is for me to acknowledge, that's exactly what happens. If you ask somebody, well, how is worship today? You'll get an answer contextually that has something to do with music almost 100% of the time. But as I just said earlier, you know, our giving, our praying, our confession— even the benediction is worship, and so so is the preaching. For those of us who, who are pastors, when, when a person asks me, what style of worship does your church have? I'll be asked that a lot. They're never thinking about the sermon, of what, it, what it sounds like, what it looks like, how, how do you preach, how do you not preach. That will be for a separate converse, conversation. But we've got to understand preaching also is a vital part of worship because it's only in the preaching of God's Word do we actually hear from God. Now, some people would argue with me, and, well, I hear from God during the singing. Well, that that's good and well and fine. But the only way that we're guaranteed to hear the Word of God, if you want to hear, I'm sorry, if you want to hear from God, you will not hear from God apart from His Word. And And preaching is a means of grace in a sense that God uses the preaching of His Word to, to nourish us and to build the, the local congregation, the flock. And he uses the preaching of the Word to bring people to repentance and saving faith. And that's why I really believe the sermon serves as the capstone of the worship service, especially in the evangelical church. 
And looking back at the early church in Acts, Acts 2, it says God's people devoted themselves to God's word, which was found in the apostles' uh-huh. teaching. Then again, in Colossians, Paul instructs the church that we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. The verse actually says, teaching and, ad- and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So from those verses right there, it seems like God's word and our singing go hand in hand in worship. Yeah, I don't want to downplay the singing part of it. They absolutely do. And I think the, the singing part of, of, of worship really does prepare our hearts to be ready to hear and to receive the Word of God when it's when it's delivered to us in, in a message, in a sermon. But, you know, we, we live in this age where it's almost as if emotions become the determiner for hearing God. And I'm not saying the preacher's inspired like the prophets of old, but what we I think what we need to say is that when you hear the Bible proclaimed and the sense and the meaning is given in a in a good sermon, you are hearing the word of God. And God we know because he says this in his word, God uses the preaching of his word. So and you know, so so long as the, the preaching is faithful to the text of scripture that day, we are assured that that God is speaking to us. So preaching's not something that happens after worship in our services. And I've been we you've been to church at any period of time for any period of time, you will have heard somebody will say, Well now that the worship is over, now it's time for the pastor to preach. So we can't allow ourselves to go there. So we've got to acknowledge that we need him, that we need to hear from him, that he's got to feed us. The way he does it is through through the word of God. And it, it was the pagans who back in the day actually believed their worship and sacrifices literally fed their deities, their gods. And sometimes I fear that we think our worship sort of feeds God, that we contribute to God. But the preaching of the the, uh, the Bible reminds us of the exact opposite. You know, I, I need God. He, he doesn't need me. We need him. He doesn't need us per se. He, he wants to be with us. But I sing his praises and worship because of who he is, and then I hear from him through the preaching of his word. All right. I think that is a good stopping place for today's podcast. Remember, this is just part one of our two-part podcast as we're defining our terms and looking a little bit deeper into this theology of worship. So today we defined liturgy and the actual word worship, that it is you know more than just singing on Sunday mornings. It is a part of our daily life. So make sure you catch us next week as we wrap up uh, the second part of the podcast, Defining Our Terms. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening from. And while you're there, please consider leaving a review. This really helps other people find out about Kitchen Table Theology. If you need any show notes, the episode each episode has show notes right there where you're listening, and there's more details on jeffgranston.com. All the previous episodes are there, so be sure to check that out too. Thanks again to our new podcast partner, Columbia International University, located in the heart of South Carolina. They're celebrating 100 years of consistently living up to their motto, to know him and to make him known. So we're just encouraging you today to check out ciu.edu. They have programs available there on campus and online also. Thank you, Kitchen Table Theologians, for your support, your questions, and your encouragement along the way. 
Remember, the real power of theology is not only knowing it, but applying it. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast with Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, please check out our show notes. If you have a question from today's podcast, kindly email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.